This podcast was recorded and produced on the unceded lands of the Baramadigal of the Darug Nation and the lands of the Wajuk Noongar people. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be. Aboriginal land. Black lives matter in your area. Women's rights in your area. Why is protest in our area? George Floyd was from this area. Hi and welcome to Season 3 of The Colour Cycle, a podcast that aims to disrupt cultural whitewashing and provide strategies for achieving cultural and racial equity in the creative sector. I'm Lena Nahlus, the Executive Director of Diversity Arts Australia, or DARTS for short. We're Australia's national organisation advocating for greater diversity in the arts and screen sectors across all areas. This episode of The Colour Cycle is brought to you in partnership with the British Council Australia. In this episode, we talk to an artist about the importance of language in her music. Language is key to culture and identity. It connects to place, collective memory, community and history. I know from my family's migrant experiences, having language erased or lost means losing those connections to stories, place and ancestors. And I know that my experience as a migrant settler might have some similarities to our next guest, Gina Williams, but it's also a very different experience and one that cannot be conflated with that of First Nations people and their experiences. In Australia, as a result of European colonisation, there were policies in place that attempted to eradicate First Peoples' languages, including banning the language from use and deliberately relocating people so they couldn't speak their language with each other. So that's what makes the continuation of Australia's First Nations languages so significant as an act of resistance, of survival, and also as continuing to provide connection to culture. Noongar is the official language of the First Peoples of the southwest of Western Australia, but it's now spoken by less than 400 people. Our next guest has taken a creative approach, using music to make language accessible. Singer-songwriter Gina Williams is a Balladong woman who writes and performs contemporary songs in Noongar with her musical partner Guy Gauss. In 2021, Gina was appointed a member of the Order of Australia for significant service to performing arts, to Indigenous music and to media in the Queen's Birthday Honours. Gina has released three albums. Her latest, a collection of lullabies called Korlanga or Children, is the first in her legacy series. Gina Williams is also an alumni of the British Council's Accelerate program for arts leadership. And while she was in the UK, she spent time with Welsh musicians who sang in the Welsh language. And she tells me in this next conversation that this was a spark that helped change the direction of her life. Gina was speaking to me here from Perth, the traditional lands of the Wajuk Noongar people. Welcome, Gina. Thanks for having a chat with me today. So can you just introduce yourself? Kaya Ngang Gina Williams, Ngang Baladong Yok. Ngang nyunga waranka were wanganing kaiwa wula. Hi, my name is Gina Williams. I'm a Baladong woman from Western Australia and I write 
and perform songs and stories in Noongar language. So how did you used to be a journalist? Yes. How did you start in music? How did you make the shift from journalism to music? Completely by accident. Um, I I used to write a lot of poetry and and I used music. I've always used music as a bit of a memory device. So working as a journalist in television, we used to do a lot of um, what they call stand-ups. And so for me to remember what I was doing on camera, I used to sort of make up little songs in my head and then long hours on the road because filming takes a long time and I'd be in really remote locations. So often to pass time, um, I would sit and write little songs and just entertain myself. And so what happened was I got out of media and... um, someone much smarter than me went why don't you do something with your music we think you can sing and so I entered the West Australian Song Contest just so I could get feedback to see whether or not I could actually you know whether my songs were any good and um, the WA Music Industry Association who were running the contest they invited me to come and sing at the awards ceremony and I walked away with a check I had five songs I entered five songs I got three songs into the finals yeah and I won a won a prize so after that suddenly people were ringing me saying will you come and sing will you come and sing and I couldn't believe that they were prepared to pay me to do something I'd just always done as a fun thing so it was pretty wonderful yeah (laughs) that's a pretty amazing story (laughs) Um, but at that time you weren't singing in in language were you no no I was singing in English and I got working with this chap called Guy Gauss about 10 years ago and he would say to me, you know, we spent a lot of time on the road together and he was like, you should write songs in, in Noongar because I'd just started learning my language at that time. And he was like, you should start writing songs in language. And I was like, Gousy, I can't get people to listen to me in English. Who's going to listen to me in this language? Hardly anyone understands the language, even on Noongar country. Um, you know, he said, trust me, if you write language songs the way you write English songs, people will listen. And I had to actually really go away and think about it and test it. And it wasn't until 2012 I was in London as part of the British Council's Accelerate program and um, I was singing in this club and I did a couple of jazz standards and then I thought, you know what, what sets me apart from everyone else who's ever walked into this club, and I'm imagining that there would have been thousands of people that had sung there, I thought the one thing that sets me apart is that I can sing my language. And so that's what I did, and I haven't looked back. I came home and I was like, oh, my God, I know what I need to do. I know what I need to do. And actually I also had a conversation with this really lovely chap from the National Steadford of Wales and he was saying, you know, he was talking about the Welsh language and the parallels that Noongar language had taken in that it was nearly, you know, erased. Um, and he was saying, you know, they were talking about random acts of civil disobedience in, in Wales. And I was like, you know, if we did that here on my country, um, I'd get arrested. And he was like, you don't have to do enough to get arrested. You just have to do enough to be noticed. So you need to work out what it is that makes your heart beat faster and pursue that and people will notice and that's how you will revive your language and for me it was a no-brainer for me it was always that I would sing language so that's what I went home and did oh wow yeah I guess um talking a little bit about language and it's something that I'm kind of thinking about daily as an Arab migrant to Australia like that loss of language even for me is loss of connection with my 
ancestry, my histories, my stories, understanding fully the stories that that are all kind of oral in our family. And so learning about when the Europeans colonised, Australia had 250 languages. Yes. So making it one of the most linguistically diverse countries in the world. And mm. that doesn't include all the... The dialects. Um, yeah, doesn't include the dialects. So understanding some of that history... And, and also, you know, stories about how it was government policy that people weren't allowed, First Peoples weren't allowed to speak their language. Mm. It had to be replaced by English. And that yes. was school policy, mission policy. Yes. Families were separated if they spoke their language. So I guess I wanted to ask you about language and the significance of language for you in terms of your life and yeah. your work. What you're talking about is exactly what my family experienced. So, you know, my mother... Um, she would regularly tell stories about literally having language beaten out of her. And when I made the decision to start singing language, you know, her attitude was, what do you want to do that for? You know, people didn't want to hear it then. Why should they hear it now? And why can't you just leave it alone, leave it alone? And I was like, mum, this is our birthright. You know, this is not about what other people think. I'm pursuing this because it's important, not just for me, but for my children just as a little side note, I'm a product of four families, so I didn't grow up with my Noongar family. Um, I was adopted as a baby and then I was fostered twice. So I have a biological family, an adopted family, two foster families. And when I came to language as an adult, my like my thoughts on it were that the language was extinct. I had no idea that there were many speakers left. And I'd, I'd seen sort of pockets of people that could speak language. But... um. You know, going back to when I was when I was pursuing this with music, Mum was like, you know, for God's sakes, just you know, why why you got to do this? Why you got to drag this up? And and it, I really struggled with it because you know, I, last thing you want to do is upset your mum, and yeah. um, you know, I didn't want to get growled by her. And and I wrote this song called New York Barn Up. And in this song, you know, it's a little orphan girl and she has no mother and father and she has no love and she doesn't understand why. And the authorities say to her, you have no mum and dad, you're never going to see them again because they've gone and they're not coming back. And But this little girl, she, you know, she's, she's made of something different. She goes outside because she doesn't quite buy into this script and she goes outside and looks up at the night sky and in amongst the stars she sees and feels the presence of her family. So she goes back to the authorities and tells them, you know, I do have a family, I keep them here in my heart. And so I wrote that for my mum and like when I first played it to her, she was like, oh, I can't understand it, you know, and so I translated it for her and she was like, play it again, play it again, play it again. And so I played it for her a few times in the end, she was. She just really quietly said, oh, you should teach me my language. And I realised at that time that her fear for me speaking and singing language was trauma-based and it was really close to, to me. And, you know, my mum passed away about six weeks ago now and what was amazing was that she got to come and live with me for a bit and... She spent a lot of time with my son and he speaks language, like my kids all speak language and mum was talking language to him and I thought she knew more than what she thought, what she realised and there was something really kind of healing and beautiful 
that reconnected my kids. So the things that I missed out on became something that my children grew up with without even realising what they had. So I think that, like, I'm really lucky because I'm aware that not everyone gets to be exposed to language. We're doing this little translation project with this little song that I've written, a little welcome song that I've written, and we're getting it translated into all sorts of languages. So we've got about, we've collected about nine different translations across Western Australia, but we've also got a French version and a Japanese version and a German and Indonesian, um, and we're getting something done in Spanish and then into lots of different languages. We were collecting one of the translations in regional Western Australia and it was you know it was miles away from anywhere we've been told that there were no Aboriginal people there we found an elder who could speak the language she translated our song and then she said so what happens now I guess I hear about it do I and I was like no we're gifting this back to you and she said oh can I sing this at a welcome to country I was like yeah and you can teach it to the local school and she was like oh that's awesome and so you know she called the station manager and he and his wife and their child and then she called her grandkids and her niece and her husband and all these people like in in the space of about 30 minutes she'd rounded up this whole bunch of people and she taught it like without even thinking she taught it to these people so all of a sudden there was about you know a dozen people singing this song in her language And then she walked me to the car and she goes, this is such a wonderful thing. When me and my two sisters pop off, our language will still be heard. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, there's only three of us left that speak my language. And I thought, you know, this is kind of, it's so sad, but I think like we've got to do what we can, not just for our own languages, but for everybody, you know. It's not enough for for Noongar people to be hearing and speaking the language. Everybody, for our languages to be secure, everybody needs to be aware of it. Everybody needs to at least know five words and not just the suburbs. Let's face it, when we meet someone who's from France, we can't wait to bust out our French language on them or, you know what I mean? Like, so if someone comes from abroad, I think, wouldn't it be wonderful if people could do, like, if we could welcome people in the languages of the land on which we're living. So that's, you know, that's what we do. I think that's a really powerful story as well, like that, you know, this woman kind of is is going to be able to share this language now through song with much broader, or already has, with broader communities. Because song's such a natural way to share language and it's how kids learn language, it's how we all learn language and we're taught to learn language. It's really accessible and, you know, melodic and, you know, so... Yeah, that's exactly it. But I wanted I wanted to know because you started learning as an adult. Yeah. Is it really hard to no. kind of write? No. No, it's funny, isn't it? Cuz I thought like I just thought, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to learn this language. I'm, you know, and I was a, I was a lousy student as a as a young person. And actually when I turned up to the TAFE where they were running the course, if I'd gone left, I could have gone to Feng Shui, and if I'd gone right, I could have gone to Nyungar language class and I walked in and I realised I was the only Nyungar in the class and I thought, shame, I could have gone left, you know, could have gone to Feng Shui and no one would have batted an eyelid. But I walked in and there's all these Nidiyang, all these white people and then the teacher came in, Nyungar lady, beautiful Nyungar lady, Marinda Hansen came in and she scanned the room and she clapped eyes on me and she went, why is everyone here? And she looked at me and she goes, why are you here? And I felt embarrassed and ashamed 
And so, of course, you know, in true Noongar form, I let rip. I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. Shame on me having to come to class. You know, I'm not even a good student. And, you know, this should have been my birthright. And now I feel embarrassed because I've got to come to TAFE of all places. I've got to come back to school to learn something that I should have grown up with. And this really lovely lady in the class goes, that's not your shame. That's ours. And my teacher, and then Marinda was like, so why are you really here? And I, and without even thinking, I went, because I want to sing my language. And so that's what I did was I wrote little songs as a way to remember things and I started bringing the songs in to have them corrected and checked by my teacher and she was like, it's beautiful. It's like you've been speaking your language your whole life. Now you need to teach it to the class. And, you know, so suddenly I was teaching it to other people and, you know, without realising it, we were I was creating resources so that other people could learn as well. It's a wonderful way that we can learn together and we can heal together. Learn together and heal together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't go to the feng shui I'm class. glad I didn't do feng shui <laughs> as well. <laughs> your album Bindi Bindi is pretty cool Bindi, yeah Bindi, the you butterfly covered in, you covered the churches um under the milky way under the milky way what? yeah tell me what was that amazing like how do, how do you translate from English to something like that the first album we did Kalyukul that has a adaptation of Englishman in New York so I, it's Murich Baladong Yok which is a lot of fun And then Guy and I kind of in our heads thought that every time we do a recording, we're going to do a cheeky cover. And so um, we're sitting at a campfire jam at a festival and Guy started playing Under the Milky Way by the fire and I looked up and we were under a billion stars and I thought, I wonder how this would translate. And I just started singing the first line and Guy was like, oh my God, you have to translate. We have to do this. This is amazing. And so I, I managed to translate the first and the third verse um, and then I'd sing the second verse in English. But I went, we, we were doing this thing, we were on the festival circuit and I was jumping up on stages and I was going, oh, if anyone knows Steve Kilby, get him to call me because we did this two song, ta-da! Imagine my utter horror one day when my phone rings and the voice on the other end goes, oh, hello, it's Steve Kilby. I'm looking for Gina Williams. I believe she's done something to one of my songs. I was like, oh, God. Anyway, he was really wonderful. He was so supportive. And then he came to Perth and he was like, oh, you want to come to my show? And I was like, I'd love to come to your show. It's all sold out. He says, no, no, I'll leave your name on the door. And then he messaged me and he goes, how about you jump up and sing your language version of my song? with me and I was like oh my god and so I was freaking out about that and then I did the sound check with him and the band and we're out in the car park and he was like darling calls me darling darling why didn't you translate the second verse I was like dude 
Lower the curtain down on Memphis. No, I don't got curtains. Come on, you got to chuck me a bone here. And he was like, no, I'm not singing about that. I'm singing about Elvis. I'm saying the king is dead. The boss is gone. He's not coming back. Can't sit around talking about it. We've got to keep moving under the Milky Way. And I was like, oh, well, I can translate that. And so the second verse now, Ngalang Bernia Balwart Kul, Balap Uat Ual Kul, Uat Yelikits, Uat Dat Ninwang, Ngada Jinda Kedalak is literally the boss is gone and he's not coming back. We can't wait, can't sit down talking under the stars tonight. And it worked and he loves it and I'm just relieved he didn't sue me. So <laughs> he's such a sweetheart and like, you know, and that's the other thing is, is that we've had, we found a whole stack of allies on this journey. You know, people like Archie Roach, people like Shane Howard, um, people like Neil Murray, who are wonderful advocates for not just the survival, but for the actual growth of language. And that's really important to us as well. We need, we need a lot of allies in this journey. I agree. I think that that allyship is super critical to kind of making change and long-term change. And I just wondered, like in terms of the Accelerate alumni and that whole program um, and connecting with British organisations and artists, do you think that they were also, that you kind of developed allies through those relationships and also whether um, UK artists in particular and organisations learned a lot more about Australia's First Nations artists and and stories and art forms? Um, The British Council's Accelerate program really changed my life. You know, I never saw myself as someone who could actually do much. I always thought that people fell into two categories, those who changed the world and then those who decorated. And I saw myself firmly as a decorator. I didn't see that there was anything that I could really contribute to to change. Um, I, I, the best I could hope for, I figured, was that I could raise three children who were contributing, functioning, healthy, you know, well-balanced adults. For me, that was as far as I went. And you know, then the idea that I could use art as a way of getting messages across, as a way of bringing healing, as becoming an agitator um, for change. Going to London and and the UK and seeing things done at a world-class level, um, getting to spend time with the crew at Sirius who, you know, they, they produce the London Jazz Festival. I'm a massive jazz fan and you know, getting to see how they think and what they're doing when they book people and, you know, the artists that they're working with and, you know, those sorts of things, that was really important. But also seeing other people in my community, so my peers, who were like, we don't really see ourselves as leaders either. We just see that something needs to be done so we get out and do it. What I found happened was that my my thinking about how I saw myself really changed. It was like, okay, then, well, you know, you could just kind of go along and, you know, as you are, and that would be fine. You know, you're not a bad person as such. And, you know, if you never want to step up to be a leader, but actually if you do want to make a change, um, here are some ways that you can do that. And what does your new normal world look like and what can you achieve? And what I learnt over in the UK, I brought back and I applied here in in WA and it it revolutionised my life. I'm I'm a full-time musician I wrote a, a welcome song which I came back to on Nyungar country and we've reached over half a million people with that song. 
you know, it's sung all over the world now. So my language gets to be heard in ways that I could never have imagined happening. You know, nobody is saying that Noongar language is dead, whereas I always thought that it was. And I think that's the change. That's the difference. And so now we want to go, you know, it's not dead, but it's critically endangered. But let's not call it critically endangered. Let's call it limited edition, because limited edition implies that it's something that's of value and it's worth collecting and it's worth learning about. And so, you know, just little sort of shifts and things. I think that's really important. And, you know, like you said, half a million are, you know, singing this or 100,000 school kids in WA are singing in Noongar. So that's pretty awesome and incredible. And I'm sure shifting everything in a spectacular way. But I, I wondered, like, just kind of going back to what you were saying about the older woman who was one of three who still spoke her her language, mm. was one of the, the last three surviving people. Like, have you had other people reach out to you, other First Nations people from other language groups saying, I really want to do this too? And, you know, have you kind of created... Yeah, so Wanju, the welcome song, was translated into Maungana language, which is in Shark Bay, up in, oh, it's a few hours north of Perth. And people would know Shark Bay because of the dolphins that come into Monkey Mire and Denim and that. And so the Maungana language is considered to be extinct. There are no language speakers left. And yet from word lists, they've translated and are singing Wanju, the welcome song. So you just never know. And I think that's what I've realised is, you know, going to London and all these amazing things um, – Firstly, it doesn't hurt to just ask. Like, you don't have to be super brave. Like, I always thought that leadership was for the brave. Look, no is not the worst thing that people can say to you. And so, you know, for me, my thinking was, if money was no object, what would I do? What would I pursue? And for me, it's a no-brainer. Like, I came home and I was like, the first thing I was thinking was, I'd really love to take a performance back to Wales because I was gifted something there that was really life-changing and really important. And, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to, as a thank you, come back and go, this is what you taught me, but this is what I did with it. This is, you know, now that you know what you know, what are you going to do about it? And this is what I've done about it. And I feel like that's our next, um, our next plan. So we've done everything that Guy and I do is informed by four principles. I'm going to teach you something now. Can you say court? Court. Your court is your heart. The second thing is mort. Can you say mort? Mort. Mort is your family and the people that we choose as family. So people we work with, people we live with, people we play with, you know, all those people in our community, they're, they're our mort. The third principle is buja. Can you say buja? Buja. Buja is our land and... Um, and it's, it's about where our hearts go when our heads think of home. And then the fourth principle is Korlanga. Can you say Korlanga? Korlanga. Korlanga is children, but it's more than that. It's about legacy. It's about making sure that, you know, we acknowledge respectfully what's happened in the past and we can't change that, but we can be responsible for this moment to ensure that what happened doesn't happen again and we learn from it. And not just that we learn from it, but we actually make it better for the generations that follow. So my Uncle Tom says if you have those four things in place, then everything else works. And he's right. 
those four principles inform all our songwriting, all our performances, everything that we do with our business. Um, everything has to come under one of those things. And if they don't, if it doesn't, then the wheels fall off really, really quickly in our experience. Um, so the idea now is to do four major works around each of these principles. And we're starting with Korlinga, which is children, but it's legacy because it's important to me that we've lost our way. Um, people have strayed from the campfire and the villages have been burned down and the languages have been lost. What's the responsibility of those who remain? Well, the responsibility is, is that we write new songs and we sing people back. We, we rebuild the villages and we sing people back to the campfires. And so this idea of an intergenerational work called Korlinga, where it's based around kids' stories, but I want to hear grandparents singing to their kids and not just nyungas, but everybody. We want to teach people because the language is beautiful and it really lends itself to music. So I think, you know, and contemporary music as well. People expect to hear a certain sound when they think of Aboriginal music, but unlike French and German and Japanese, you know, those languages have had no interruption. So they've been able to what's the word evolve I hate the word evolving because it's not quite that but they grow into different things they change and where Nyunga kind of hasn't had that opportunity it was driven underground and now in this day and age you know many many decades later we're hearing language people are expecting us to go back to the point where the interruptions began and I just think, well, why can't we just hear things in a contemporary way now? You know, because this is where we live and this is our experience now. So I think the language remains pure, but the sounds are different. So we're, you know, Korolinga, we're working with a string quartet and we're doing, the songs are, are beautiful and they're this idea, this notion that grandmothers and mothers once sang to their children, grandfathers and fathers once sang at campfires and you know, let, let's reignite that, let's regenerate that, let's bring that back into, you know, into a contemporary practice. Oh, that's nice. So that's the name of the album as well. Korlinga, yeah. Korlinga. That's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I wanted to just ask a little bit, um, you've spoken about your next project that you're you're working on. Yeah, Korlinga. But, are, but is, are there any other projects that are... Um, there's three other works that we're doing. So we're looking at um, Court. We've been signed on to do a documentary about my story, about, you know, being a foster kid and being raised by the village and bearing in mind that I can't, I still can't read music. So it never ceases to amaze me that, you know, I'm a bit like Cinderella at the ball, the kid who can't read music, the kid who was told that, you know, the most she could hope for would be to marry a boy without a criminal record. Now singing um, at levels that I could never have imagined is amazing. Um, so anyway, there's a documentary that's being written and we're currently in production, well, in pre-production for that. So the script is being written and hopefully we start filming um, early next year. So that will be court. That will be the heart principle. Um, Mort, I'm looking at doing something in terms of choral work, choral work. so um, voices, like an orchestra of voices, because family, you know, I'd love to get in my, my vision would be to have, you know, wouldn't it be amazing to have 100 Nyunga voices singing 
and have a couple of soloists come and, and sing and talk about, you know, and where we look at family, we look at the stolen generations and all that sort of thing. And then with Budja, that would be the final of the four works. Um, I really want to write a response to Vivaldi's four seasons because Nungar's got six seasons. So we'll raise Vivaldi. We'll see him, t- see him four and raise him two. <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, and then hopefully after I've done all that, we can just have a bit of a drink and a sit down because it's, um, it's been a really, you know, 2012 was where it all kind of started and that should take us through to 2022. So 10 years of, of this now, I think that will be, you know, I think, I'm hoping, well, maybe not. I think by then there'll be enough of what I've done um, created to be a, a lasting resource for people and, you know, hopefully between that and, you know, other people in town, so Yuri Arkin, Young Art Theatre, Kyle Morrison and um, Kylie Farmer and, you know, that crew, they're doing Shakespeare sonnets and I think, you know, between us there'll be enough resources that our languages, our language will become secure. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, that's um, pretty incredible. Our plan is to launch on... February 13 each year. So for the next four years, 2021, 22 and 23, we'll do a launch on the anniversary of the apology to the stolen generations. That date is really important to me and I think it's really appropriate. So we're going to be launching Korlangar at um, the Government House Ballroom as part of the 2020 Festival of Perth, Perth International Arts Festival. It's really exciting because, you know, Government House was once a space that our languages would, were never permitted to be heard in. So I love the idea that we can go into spaces where language was, you know, they tried to wipe it out and we can sing and and people love it. So it's both like very symbolic and also a, an act of resistance continues. Yeah, it is. It's a little, you know, if I can be so bold and so crude as to say it's a little bit of an up yours to the establishment because, you know, they they did their best to to reduce us to a whisper and, you know, instead of being wiped out, we kind of went underground. I get, I've always said like, this is why I love the Bindi Bindi, the butterfly, is because once upon a time on Nyungar country, everybody spoke Nyungar language. And then like the gardener, the visitors came and we were told that our language wasn't acceptable, that it wasn't good and we were forbidden to speak it. But, you know, in the same way that it gets really tough for a caterpillar, what the caterpillar does is it gets a belly full of food and it takes a nap. And I think that's what our language did. It just kind of went underground and took a bit of a nap. And what we're seeing is this amazing renaissance now in the same way that the butterfly, the Bindi Bindi, emerges from her doona fort, from from her cocoon. And, you know, we're suddenly going, oh, isn't it beautiful? But it's always been beautiful. We sort of, our attitudes have changed. So I think that's really, you know, there's something in that as well. Do you feel like when you're teaching kids songs in Noongar and especially kids whose language that is do you see a shift in their own kind of confidence and their self-esteem yeah yeah Yeah, they puff up it's really cute yeah yeah they do they really you see the like we do a lot of schools incursions and sometimes when you turn up to schools they might have 600 kids um, or 700 children and there'll be you know 20 kids that are Noongar and 
like often, you know, they do the acknowledgement. And this was the other thing, you know, the acknowledgement to country is really important. Um, And it's good that we get elders to do Welcome to Country during NAIDOC week and Reconciliation week. But in the school calendar, there's 40 weeks of the year. What are you doing for the other 38 weeks? So, you know, this idea that we can get kids singing this song um, and we do the workshops and you see the kids puff up. They they really, you know, and and what we're also seeing actually is the emergence of what we're call, what's being called new nyunga. So you've got the old nyunga language, the old dialects, um, and then we're hearing words that actually they they're new. They're not they're, they're not based on old words, um, and I think that's really interesting because it shows that there's not just like there's actual growth and there's health around the language that it is it's robust enough to be able to stretch it and play with it and find new ways to to use it so it's good thank you for gifting us with your beautiful music and 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 your language as well gifting that to all of us oh no worries That was the talented Gina Williams. You can find more of her music and work at ginawilliams.com.au. Her new album with her collaborator Guy Gauss is called Korlanga. We encourage you to grab a copy of this beautiful album. Here are three main takeaways from today's episode. Number one, song can be a great tool for teaching and sharing languages with broader audiences and future generations. For Indigenous languages to be secure, everyone should make an effort to learn some of their local language or languages, for example, welcoming people with the original languages of the land on which we live. Number two, good allyship is critical for long-term change. The allies Gina Williams has met on her journey, the Welsh musicians singing in language, Indigenous and non-Indigenous musicians, have been powerful advocates for not only the survival but the growth of First Nations language. Number three, leaders are people who identify a problem and just get out there and make changes to address it. It's a reminder to us all that we're capable of making important change and that sometimes the smallest changes can be the biggest acts of resistance. This episode of The Colour Cycle is made by Diversity Arts Australia. We're Australia's national organisation advocating for cultural and racial equity in the arts, screen and creative sectors. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts or go to our website for more, diversityarts.org.au. Please share this podcast with your friends and leave us a rating on your favourite podcast app. To hear more music by Gina Williams and Guy Gauss, go to ginawilliams.com.au. Thank you to episode sponsor and collaborator, the British Council. For more about the British Council's work in Australia, go to britishcouncil.org.au. 2020 to 2021 also marks the UK-Australia season, a joint initiative of the British Council and the Australian Government to explore the theme of who are we now. We really like to hear from you. It keeps us going. So send us your thoughts, comments and feedback. Record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at info at 
and help us keep this podcast going by becoming a Colour Cycle patron. By making a small donation through Patreon, you can help us to continue our work. And remember, any size is welcome, even the price of a weekly coffee. You can find us at patreon.com slash diversityartsaustralia. Diversity Arts receives support from the Australia Council for the Arts and Create New South Wales. Thank you also to our organisational sponsor, Information and Cultural Exchange. And thank you to Gina Williams and Guy Gauss for the original music from their new album, Core Langer. The opening and closing track titled You Know What was written in response to COVID-19's impact on the arts by UK-based musician and producer and good friend Spider J. This episode was produced by Jennifer Macy with production support from Diversity Arts' Sonia Mermand and Claire Cow and Storycasters podcast producers Alison Tanu-Desastro and Via Kaula. I'm Lena Nahlus. Thanks for listening and taking Gina's advice. I'm going to say goodbye in the language of the Darug Nation on which this podcast is made. Yannou.